Boys are back for episode 39 of Point Shot Hockey, brought to you by High Stick Vodka, the double gold award-winning vodka from the heart of the Okanagan, with such a smooth and clean flavor, it'll make you forget that I had none of my co-hosts on last week's episode. (laughs) (laughs) And it comes in a friggin' hockey stick. This oh, is Point Shot Hockey. I'm with Malcolm, Sean, and Bill. Gentlemen, what's happening? Thanks for joining me this week. Malcolm's <laughs> back. I am back. I uh, Yes, I've had an inexcused absence, but uh, I guess I'll, uh, I'm ready to make the uh, it Twitter official. I uh, My wife is having a baby girl uh, in the next uh, couple weeks here. And Let's it go. has made it, yes, it's uh, very, very exciting news. And uh, I guess, well, and, uh, you know, good news for everyone who doesn't like hearing on me that, uh, you know, for you won't be hearing on uh, hearing me on here as much. Uh, obviously, I'm still going to try to make it as much as I can, but uh, probably going to be a little bit harder and priorities are, are shifting uh, pretty quickly here. So, yeah, I almost made last week's episode and then I got hit with uh, a list of uh, things that I absolutely had to have done because the baby coming here any second. So, uh, yes, I'll, uh, I'll be on as much as I can, but, uh, that's where I have been and that's where I will be. You know, what oh, I'm hearing on. is that there's a free agent, uh, joining the point shot hockey family here, and we're going to have a new podcast co-host. That's what I'm hearing. Yeah. Yeah. It's, uh, <laughs> as soon as she can, uh, ho- hopefully, uh, yeah, her first words will be fire betting. Prioritize yeah. <laughs> a kid over us, man. That's I know. <laughs> yeah. Ridiculous, isn't it? And, oh, and yeah. Bill's back after prioritizing school over us. So, hey, uh, you, you know, pick yeah. and choose your battles, maybe, Bill. That's what I mean. Yeah, you wound up for that one. Yeah, yeah. But we are all back here. We're excited to chat some Vancouver Canucks, some NHL, some Olympics hockey as Team Canada won gold over the United States. That's always a huge, huge, exciting moment for for Canadian hockey fans. Gentlemen, we have lots of trade rumors. Basically, it seems like everyone on the Canucks who isn't named Thatcher Demko, Elias Patterson, or Quinn Hughes could be up on the trade block. Yeah, I'm starting to hear more and more like names like Brock Besser coming to the forefront. Um, so it's going to be interesting because it's kind of reshaping what we think of the core to be. Um, potentially, right? Like I, I've always kind of had Brock Besser in that core group um, for myself. So if Brock Besser is kind of the forefront of, of trade rumors, then I guess management does not view him as part of that core group. So, or or do they? Because you know, like everything I'm hearing is more or less exactly what I've wanted to hear for the last eight years. That's fair. And, and it's the gift that a new management comes in because they didn't draft these players. They didn't sign them. They didn't trade for them. These are all in a hundred percent inherited roster. So there's no previous relationship or need to show that, Hey, we got good value in this trade or acquisition. You're, you're completely, the slate is completely wiped clean of those things. And really I think we, we know on this show that we do need significant overhaul of this roster to get where we want to be. You know, yeah, obviously the last 25 games have been great under Bruce Boudreaux and, you know, it's been great to see, you know, at least pieces or, or just, you know, not a historically bad penalty kill. But what we need is, you know, really to completely reshape this team. So as much as I'm a Brock Besser fan, as you can tell, he is a guy that, you know, should be shot because 
you know, what is, what are we really doing with this? And, and this is why I piped in and, and had to correct you right away. Is I'm not so sure we're necessarily shopping them as much as we're saying, hey, Brock, you know, if you don't want to play ball, if you don't want to sign a contract right now, which I think, you know, Thomas Drance has done a very good job of laying out all the reasons why he shouldn't. Well, then we're going to have to explore our options. And one of those is a trade. So do you want to be moved? And, you know, of, of all places, like it's kind of a weird link. New Jersey, you want to live in New Jersey, Brock? Do you want to be qualified at 7.5 in New Jersey? Like that's a, it's maybe a little different, a bit of a position. So what I'm hearing what I, is this is great messaging to both player and agent that, you know, hey, if, if you don't want to sign a contract, which I understand all the reasons that you don't want to, maybe, maybe, maybe it's a little bit more interesting when plan B or another option on the table is a trade and with all due respect to the good people of New Jersey to New Jersey. Yeah. So to what, do you, what do you have against <laughs> New Jersey, man? Have, have you been to New Jersey? <laughs> it's uh, it's like the I've backyard dump of New York. Exactly yeah. where people want to live. Let's just and of course, high tax, high state tax in in there too. So yeah, and you know they have some. They certainly have a lot of pieces, but it's certainly taken them a long time to put it together. It's been a long time since the you know Marty Berdur era. Uh, that and you know, then that kind of one apparition season with Kovalchuk and Parise kind of leading the charge at the end of Broder's career. It's uh, you know, you ask if you ask players, uh, you know, name five teams on your no trade clause list. I, I bet New Jersey is <laughs> appearing on a lot of those lists. Winnipeg, so I don't think Winnipeg, that's a coincidence. Winnipeg, 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 Edmonton, yeah, <laughs> <laughs> Edmonton in there, <laughs> maybe so ob- Obviously, the Vancouver Canucks are fielding phone calls. Bill, what, what do you think of the situation that Jim Rutherford has himself in right now with uh, a vast amount of players that won't be necessarily with the core group in, in two or three years when a lot of fans and I guess management has almost made it clear that they think that they're going to be competitive and have a window. What do you think of what the Vancouver Canucks are doing right now? First off, I don't think the Canucks are shopping Besser, like Malcolm said. It seems more like teams are calling about him, and we're just listening, which is a step in the right direction. But it seems like lots of fans are still in like the honeymoon phase and thinking that this team's like playoff caliber, which they're not. Because, I mean, after starting, what, 8-0 and under Bruce, we've been below 500 since then in, a, in like a larger sample size. So, so I think fans are still kind of just thinking that everything's going to be all right. And this might be going against the grain a bit, but we still have to see what the new management group does before we actually give them their props. Because, I mean, everything we've heard so far is better than what Benning said, which, which isn't a huge... It's not a high bar to, to clear, right? <laughs> but, but we actually still have to see what they do before we say if it's the right thing to to kind of execute or not because like the recent reports about how they they might be looking to move Besser instead of, instead of Miller is kind of concerning I mean again like lots of people have talked about this but Besser's what four years younger he's he's gonna be he's not as good as Miller but that timeline fits a lot better and also the fact that Miller's probably not going to re-sign here next year. Like, why Why would he, right? Like, he's American. He might want to go home. And this team's not anywhere close to contending. So I just don't see why we would be shopping Besser instead of Miller instead. Well, we really don't have the money. Like, there, there's kind of two motivations for me as a player to, to sign somewhere. It, do I have a chance to win? And how much money can I make, Right. And Canucks are kind of in that position right now where they can't really offer either to Miller. So I don't, re- I'm with you. I don't see him re-signing. Um, there's really no real motivation to, he's not from here. Uh, there's wide speculation and reporting that he wants to go back home. And a lot of COVID protocols are the reason for that. I do. I, so I, I've been kind of thinking about this a lot because the messaging and the optics could be concerning. Right. But, I think a lot of it is uh, 
gameplay. And we're just not used to seeing that in Vancouver for a long period of time here, where we're used to Benning just being very bluntly honest about his intentions to a point where he has no poker hand. Like he's holding his poker hand backwards, right? Like that's how Benning was playing. (laughs) And everybody knew his cards except for him, right? Whereas now it's the opposite way where Rutherford is playing games with Chris Jury back and forth through the media. And I think a lot of what we're hearing as far as like best rumors and, oh, we might keep Miller. Maybe we don't know what we want to do with him. Uh, maybe we want to extend him. We can we can trade Besser and we can extend Miller. Is is them uh, holding that power in those negotiations and saying like, no, you are going to have to pony up if you want JT Miller. You're not going to you're not doing us any favors by acquiring him because we view him as a very valuable piece and we do view him as a piece moving forward. So if you do want him, you are going to have to pay to get him. And so that's kind of how I'm viewing it. Um, but that said, like you said, we, until we see any, any movement of the actual roster and not just the front office, there's going to, the jury's going to be out on this management just yet, because it's, it is unproven so far because we haven't actually seen any tangible moves uh, to the roster. I just see a lot of gameplay and I love that. I do love that. I fully agree with you. I think what we're seeing is a lot of gameplay, right? You know, hey, you know, we don't have to move this player. And of course, those GMs can't talk to Miller or his agent and, and get an indication that, you know, maybe they're not willing to resign here or that's tampering. And we'll take, you know, whatever, you know, draft pick or compensation we get, uh, you know, when, you know, when that gets exposed and hey, more great gameplay, right? So, you know, I, I'm 100% with you, Sean. I think that that's exactly what we're seeing. You know, we, we have this power, you know, same with Garland, right? Like we have all these pieces and, you know, hey, we don't have to move any of them, right? If, if you want, if you want them, if you want Miller for his two playoff runs, you know, you're, you're laughing at if you're telling us your third right-hand defenseman is off the table. Like to me, that's laughable. That, that, yeah, that that's know, the, the centerpiece is Lundquist is your centerpiece? Come on. Like, like piss off, right? Like, it, you know, and, and that's exactly what they should have done is, is hang up the phone immediately and say, hey, look, and, you know, start letting it be known that, yeah, we're, we're listening on Besser or we're listening on Garland because, you know, I, I certainly think that there's a, a world where we move two out of these three players. And obviously my preference would be Besser to be the one to keep. I, I think, you know, I'm, I'm very consistent with you, you buy low and you sell high. And it's very clear Miller is at his high point. It's very clo- clear Besser at his, his low point. And as Bill said, like, you know, Miller is a better player today. But I'm not worried about who's a better player today. I'm worried about who's going to be a better player in three, four years when we're really looking to compete for a cup. And for my money, I'm willing to place my bet, and, and heavily, that Besser will be the better player in four years. So, yeah. you know, I, I think it is very clear I think, you know, we know what we need to do. I think, you know, sorry, Rutherford knows what he needs to do. And 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 he and he's, go, you know, going to execute on it. Because as we kind of said before we jumped on here, like we, we're we used to a February trade deadline. So we just kind of have it, you know, instinctively in our clocks that, hey, we should be expecting these trades right now. But it's not until March 21st. So, like, we still have a lot of runway. Let these teams, you know, have a little bit of a, a losing streak and go, Oh shit. You know, now we, maybe it's, you know, we have to pay out the park, you know, when, when the Rangers are playing as well as they are right now, maybe they're going, Hey, you know, maybe we don't want to disrupt this camp for the chemistry, you know, allow the time. It's not like Miller has a huge injury history and I'll knock on some wood right now, even saying this, but you know, it's not like there's a massive risk there. And again, if he does get hurt, well, then we trade him in the summer and these packages of, you know, Lundqvist, Scheidel, Kratzoff, a first, you know, those will all be available. And there'll be the added benefit of actually knowing exactly where those first round picks are. So mm-hmm. we may prefer to go with one team's offer and one team's first round pick over the other based on how we project the draft out too. So, and you know, more I'm teams also, bidding because exactly. uh, so, the cap is easier to navigate in the offseason. So. Exactly. So if you, you take the godfather offer you can't refuse now at the deadline because it's a godfather offer and you always have to take that kind of value but if you're only looking or only teams are only offering fair value 
which I, I don't disagree that that package is probably fair value, but that's not blow your socks off. We've got to take this offer now because this is, you know, the best offer that we're ever going to get. Like I would be absolutely stunned if that offer is not still available to us in the summer. Yeah. So you guys mentioned, you know, gameplay and positioning. It- I think that this management group is really taking that to heart. And, and like you said, not wanting to show their poker hand right away. Bill, do you think that, you know, that that's all that they're doing? They're, they're kind of positioning and, and setting up a game plan against other general managers and trying to get the upper hand. Or, or do you think that we might not see any moves this off season and the Vancouver Canucks might just stay pat being so close to a wild card spot right now? I think it's just all posturing through the media. Okay. Remember when Benning was was fined for for tampering when when he made those comments Subban about and, like, Subban and, and, and yeah. Those were good times, eh? <laughs> That's what I mean by holding your poker hand backwards. Like that's a good I, way to put it. To me, it's more go fish. <laughs> <laughs> Do you have any second round picks? Yeah, I do have second round picks here. <laughs> wow, yeah, I have I have yeah. four of them through Holy different shit, years. You could have all of them. Yeah. yeah. So something really curious that you guys brought up in the last segment that we were talking about here is is kind of a honeymoon phase with the players. Mm-hmm. And it, it's it's over now. Like Jim Rutherford doesn't have that. He hasn't been married. He didn't go to Cabo on the uh on the honeymoon with any of these guys. He, he's coming in and he, if he wants to move people out, he's going to move people out. And I think that's kind of refreshing because so many times you see, Oh, a, a GM's first draft pick. Oh, they're, they're so that's hesitant. their guy. Yeah. That's their guy. They're hesitant to move it or, Oh, this is their Bo Horvat. He's my captain. I drafted him as my, the future of my organization. Well, Jim Rutherford doesn't have that. So it seems yeah. to just be like the organization is going to move forward in whatever is going to best suit the Vancouver Canucks organization. Well, and I think that's a, that's a good thing for a number of reasons. One, there's so many bad contracts on the books that you, he doesn't have to stand by um, or admit we're bad. Um, and it's a bad look on him um, where like, I, I just immediately, I immediately look at OEL. Right. And as much as he's playing better of late, especially with when Quinn Hughes was on COVID protocol, like he stepped up offensively and, but like that contract long-term, like we need, and I'll stick by this. We need additionally beyond this year, we need three good years out of OEL. And that's a lot to ask for with a player on his trajectory, with his contract status, with his age, like that's a lot to ask for. Um, and he's not, he's not going to be married to those types of deals. He's not going to be married to the Tucker Pullman's um, that he, that he took a Hopefully big bet not. on or the Tanner Pearson's that he took a bet on. Like, Rutherford's already traded Pearson, right? So um, it's it's just going to be it's going to be interesting to see what kind of happens from here. I do think that there's a lot of, like, I don't, I don't know why, but sometimes it's hard to evaluate the players that you watch all the time in, in correlation with the rest of the league, um, like where they fit value-wise, in relation to, you know, an Eastern Conference team. Like, I, I think about Besser with this because Besser brings a lot more to the game than scoring, but that's the part of his game that gets the most recognition. And, I mean, obviously, right? Like, he's got the shot. He's a great scorer. When he's scoring, he scores in bunches. But that's there's the so sexy many, stuff. Yeah, that's the sexy stuff. But there's so many things that Brock Besser does throughout the game that affects the game positively for the Canucks what? Um, without scoring Oh, he's great on the boards. Like he's a fantastic board player. He's um, a really good defensive player. He's a very good defensive player. He's very smart. The, the underrated that, playmaker. Underrated playmaker. Like the thing that I think holds him back in the public perception is that he's not a burner, right? Like he doesn't have this blazing speed, and he doesn't have like these huge sexy back checks. He's just like he's in good positioning. He reads plays really well. He sees the ice very well. And when he gets an opportunity and, and he's hot, he, it's going in the back of the net, right? Um, but if that sh- like if he's on a cold streak scoring wise, you just see him kind of sniping logos, right? And it's like, oh man, like this guy does nothing. 
but the players aren't looking at the nuances of the game. Like the camera is not watching on TV, watching Brock Besser winning board battles, right? But he's winning those board battles. So it's, I think we got to change our mindset of who Brock Besser is. He's not just like this. He's not Ovechkin, right? He's not this pure goal scorer. That's not his game. And as much as we saw so much of that in bunches throughout his career, uh, that's, that's not, the entirety of what Brock Besser is. And I think we got to kind of get out of that mindset of, of uh, kind of putting him in and he scores goals. And if he's not scoring, he provides nothing. That's not true. I almost kind of wish that his rookie season didn't just like burn that perception into our minds. Yeah. I mean, like he does seem kind of like a different player when, when, when you do compare him with his first season, but I he's a much smarter player. Honestly, I, don't, I think he's matured really well. Yeah, I've got no doubt that he's a better all-around player right now than he was before. But it's just that his his first campaign was just like that. It was that electrifying. Kind of, yeah. yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah, no, no one had a book on him. And, of course, the other thing is we were so desperate for someone after the Sedins and just, <laughs> you know, to cling to as the face of some hope during, you know, what was an incredibly dark era in our history. And, and Sean, I, was, I thought you were going to eventually hit on this point, but back to, you know, again, just, you know, Rutherford and not being beholden to the contracts and, and a lot of the players you named too, the other real key to that are, is the no trade clauses or the no yes. movement clauses or, you know, Halax bonus deal. You know, sure. you, you don't have that same, you know, I, I didn't sign you the, to this no trade clause. And I, and I know a lot of players or, you know, or a lot of fans go, well, hey, you know, they, they sign these trade clauses, it's their right, and, and of course it is. But you would be surprised as soon as someone is asked or told, hey, we want to move you out of our organization, you know, we don't want you here anymore for, for whatever reason, that, you know what, guys don't really want to stick around much longer or, or at all. So, you know, they, they typically then give a list of teams that they are, they're willing to go to because all humans want to be wanted. And when you find out that you're not wanted, especially someone who's as competitive and certainly has an ego that an NHL player does, you find out that they, they you know, obviously there are exceptions to this, but most of them will change their tune. So, you know, guys I'm thinking of, for instance, you know, Tyler Myers, you know, Tanner Pearson that you obviously named, Halak with the bonus situation. Hey, listen, we understand that this is the contract you signed, but of course this is not the contract we signed we can't have that kind of cap liability due to our cap problem. We're going to have to work something out here because, you know, we don't want to sit you, but we, we have very few other options because we, we simply can't, you know, burn 1.25 million or I, I think he's actually slipped under his, his save percentage bonus now too, because of that horrible start. You know, we, we, we don't have 1.5 million to be, to be good guys. And, you know, people go, Oh, well, you know, what happens now? No UFAs are ever going to want to sign in Vancouver. No, because... That's not going to be a problem if you don't have any money to sign them with in the the first place. (laughs) Because a GM who didn't sign a contract didn't want to have to pay a bonus overage to a cap-strapped team. Like, I I assure you that, you know, people are going, well, hey, they they spurred this 36-year-old backup goaltender who was there for six months. No, like, please. It was also always... between two management groups. So, like, we have to keep that in mind, yeah. right? Because, like, that that was the previous regime. Mm-hmm. And, like, we've got exactly. a whole new system now. So, And you always hear this idea coming from, oh, well, if they do this, then what, is, what message does it send to the younger players if they're just going to go ahead and move? It, it sends the message that we want to win you a Stanley Cup. And that you're not good enough right now, which is yeah, very like, obvious, they... right? Like, th- these players aren't stupid, right? And they're professionals. They're professionals. They've been on that's, teams. There's been trades. That's Perhaps. that's what the Boudreaux bump really is. It's guys going. You know, they were playing so bad because they were all looking for direction because they knew they weren't good enough. They knew the team was not built correctly. Those again, I'm sure I said this already on the podcast, but those guys are smarter and know hockey better than any of us talking or any of us listening. They know they're professionals, though, so it's not like they can go out to the media and go, "Yeah, our teams built like shit." Our GM's an idiot. Our coach doesn't know how to deploy us. Like, 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 what are you guys expecting? Who come with? Anyways, I won't go on in the rant. But 
that that's they know they're yeah. the problem with and and people will bring up well what look at what happened when we lost Markey and Tanev and Toffoli because we lost them for nothing that's that's why they're upset it's because those guys walked out the door and nothing walked back in if if top prospects if first round picks are are brought in instead of nothing I assure you the players will have a different reaction like I've as far as like concern, it's it's negative one on on actual concern of mine that the players are going to be upset or if we trade JT Miller that Pedersen and Hughes are going to ask for a trade now. Like no, yeah, it's just ridiculous. Like you have to also consider where the team is at the time, right? Like when Markstrom, Tanev, Toffoli, Stetcher all left, like the team had bought in um, at the deadline to get Toffoli. Uh, they had just recently gotten Miller just before that. Right. And so they they were watching their team build. Uh, and so they were seeing the progression going very much like towards we're in, we're going to go for it now. Right. That's exciting as a player. Then you have some moderate success in the playoffs and you're like, OK, that's step one towards where we're going. We're going to keep going. Success is going to be linear for us right now. And then you take a massive step back, like you said, Malcolm, getting nothing back. Yeah, that's demoralizing. Nothing back. Those are like key, key contributors for you. And you just walked away and you added nothing in the offseason with those that space, right? Nothing of value. So, yeah, that is demoralizing, right? So, I mean, take that and now put it into today's shoes where you're clearly not good enough. That previous regime was all fired. Now you have a management team that's new that's got very direct and positive messaging towards their intentions. Like Rutherford and, and Alvin aren't hiding what their thoughts are of the team. Like, Hey Rutherford, what do you think of the team? I think we have a good goalie, right? Like there's no, there's no qualms about where they think this team is at, right? They're not getting fooled by this Boudreaux bump that happened at the very outset and then had all the same issues that Travis Green's Canucks did start leaking back into their game because surprise it's the same roster and just like we were all saying the pk is still going to be bad if you've got nobody on the pk um and you know it's it's going to be totally different so like i i look at it and i, I see a potential miller trade and that's not disruptive in the same sense in the same way as you know jacob markstrom and Tofoli and tanov and etc all just walking away that's totally different totally different and like again what are you expecting rutherford to say like he's not going to come out and be like oh yeah this roster is shit they're all terrible everyone's yeah. got a bad contract like he needs to sell these players to other teams and try to get an asset and rebuild them like he's he's not gonna like he's not gonna start tearing the team apart like it's, <laughs> like like sometimes i you know you, you see these quotes and people are like oh my god look and you're like, what? What were you expecting him to say? Like yeah. you, like uh, you know. Again, maybe we were just conditioned to you know have some moron just blurt out exactly what he was thinking for the last eight years. That we're, we're like, we're. I, I honestly think that's happening, and that's you know what's creeping into a lot of our minds. Because as much as there have been no hockey player transactions, I think you know to say we haven't seen any action yet is obviously a, a misstep. Because Rutherford came in and said, we're going to have this big staff, we're going to be diverse, and he went out and did that. And I think we're all really excited about each and every single one of those hires. Totally. And, and, and you know, without getting too much, we, you know, have firsthand knowledge about some of that staff's opinions on, let's say, a JT Miller. Do, do, do we really think that uh, she's a shrinking violet in that room right now and not expressing her feelings as well? about that player i think not and and what we've heard is that rutherford thinks very highly of that person and their opinion so again i'm not sitting here worried or panicked i'm going this is exactly what we should hear this is exactly yeah. what the messaging should be you know it, it shouldn't be you know you know highest bidder we're, we're trading jt miller line up your best offers and we're going to take the best one right like this is exactly what we should be hearing like before, okay, so Bill, before when Jim Benning would say something, he like he would say, I like player X. What would you think? Like player X is now untouchable, right? 
you're like, that guy, they're not moving him. They're probably signing that dude to an extension, right? I don't think I can say on a podcast what I think. Right? <laughs> but then... Your subtle, subtle little laugh. And yeah. You'd have to bleep it out. You'd have to... <laughs> but then, like, you've got, you've got Rutherford where he says the exact same thing and you're like, ah, oh, okay. He's boosting trade value up here. Like he, And that's that's where... I know a lot of people were concerned, especially with like, oh, I think our defense, we can make do with it. Well, like, obviously not. Like Bruce Boudreaux has even come out to the media several times and been like, basically saying, I would love if we had completely different pieces than we do here. And I can't play my style because look at this blue line. Um, like Some speeds want... would be nice. Yeah, speed, puck movers. Uh, I I can think of one guy that fits that bill, uh, and the other guy is in Abbotsford, right? So uh, you need you need a lot of changes on the blue line. I don't think that Rutherford and Albine are suddenly like, yeah, you know what? This is actually a good blue line, and the problems are with the forward group. Uh, <laughs> so, you know, I think it's a lot of posturing, and that excites me. I think that, obviously, if you looked at the words – if those exact same words were said by Jim Benning, I'd be like shaking, right? But that's not the case anymore. So I have a lot of ease um, with it. And I actually really get excited with the fact that this type of stuff is actually said because I, you, you could kind of read between the lines of, of what they're trying to do. And I think it's working, which is great. Just to point out, Sean does look 10 years younger now that Benning's gone. So. <laughs> yeah, the, the world's sunnier. Uh, yeah, if, I've, if I had any gray hairs or wrinkles, they're gone. I've, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Any any handshakes are gone. Yeah, it's uh, oh, good. everything's bread. great now. Yeah. So we've covered everything kind of off the ice. What do you gentlemen make of the Vancouver Canucks play on the ice? Because I mentioned earlier they're. They're only three points back uh, of the wild card spot. They're they're giving Canucks fans this false sense of hope, and we're not really seeing everything that we can from all of the players that the Canucks have, and some of the the key components like Elias Pettersson, who has still yet to, I guess, completely break out of of his slump. What do you guys make of the the play of the Canucks on the ice so far? That Sharks game was going to give me a heart attack. <laughs> I mean, they scored with what? One second left? Less than that? 0.6. That's brutal. Um, I I want to push back a bit on your point about Pedersen, Josh, because I think he, he did break out somewhat uh, during mm-hmm. that. There was like 10 games when he scored, what, like six goals or something like that and, and had nine points, 10 points. But it just seems like he's not, this just isn't his season. And again, I'm not worried about him long term. I don't think any of us are. I think that he's probably going to come back next season with a vengeance and part of 80, 90 points and breakout and have that breakout season like we all expected him to have this year. But in terms of the on ice product, again, we're not making the playoffs. Like, Sorry, sorry to keep saying it, but we're not making the playoffs. And like, do you guys want us to make the playoffs and just like get absolutely shit canned by the abs in four games? No. Like, like, what's the point of that, right? Even if we're just like within a couple points, the standings are are made to look deceptive. We're just three points out of a wild card spot, but look at the point percentage. We're like way down in like the bottom third of the league. We're not even close to making the playoffs. We're not going to go on like some 110 point pace for however many games are left, like 35 games. Because again, we went on that 8 0 run, right? To start when, when Bruce is hired. But then since then, we've gone below 500. And I'm willing to bet the second half of what we've seen from this team under Bruce is more indicative of their actual talent so no we're not going to make the playoffs i just want to see some good hockey for the rest of the season and just get these guys kind of get their mojo back heading into next season and then we can maybe start talking about the postseason 
plus that's a larger sample size, right? The eight games was much, much smaller sample size than we've seen since. And a lot of those same issues are eking back into their game. In the eight no run, some of the things that really uh, stood out and why we were getting that, those wins suddenly was we were getting elite, elite level goaltending from Thatcher Demko, which has continued. But our penalty kill wasn't allowing goals against. Our power play started producing very regularly. And since those eight games, we, those things have fallen apart again. Our special teams is starting to die. As much as this team is decent to good on five on five play, our special teams absolutely kill us. And that's that's a massive flaw with this group that has existed since the offseason is that this they didn't have a strong enough PK group. Uh, they relied way too heavily on Sutter playing at all, and he hasn't played at all. Uh, and then for a power play, they just look completely discombobulated and they don't get the, the chances and uh, the production that we've seen previously under Newell Brown. And, you know, maybe that's something that changes over time. Maybe that changes with some personnel changes, uh, either on the bench or on the ice. But those problems existed before Bruce and they're existing again, which just kind of strengthens your point that this is pretty indicative of who they are because we have such a large sample size and we cannot put all of our eggs in a basket of this tiny sample size when a change first happened. Uh, that, that's like Edmonton right now, right? They're, they're experiencing the same bump under Woodcroft. This you isn't know. the real Edmonton Oilers either. As you kind of said before, like it's it's just such a different feeling with this management versus the old one because you know you don't have that imminent sense of dread. So, I mean, like to me, you know, the, the fans that we're hearing from are the small group of people who are still clinging to their bad eight eight, eight years of takes and not wanting to come to terms with the fact that they were wrong. So they're desperate to try to say that, oh look. This roster is actually good. It was all Travis Green. Benning actually built a good team. I, I, you know, they're they are fewer and far but further between, and you know, like just you know, just let them go and <laughs> rant in their little corners by themselves and, and let them go. That's that message is not being heard in in the Canucks management room. No. That's that's not what they're they're discussing. They know what this team is. So, you know, like it's it's literally of no concern of mine where it used to be of grave concern because we knew that's what management was like too, that they were just tremendously impatient and desperate to actually produce some wins that they couldn't. So they just kept robbing from the future to pay the present and we have like this terrible mess on our hands. So, you know, like... Like there's no like no doubt in my mind that the management group knows exactly what they need to do, and they're just plotting out the best course about doing it, and and I think hitting all the right right chords in the media. So, you know, again, it, it, you know, we know what this team is. There there are some good pieces, there are some redundant pieces, and then there are some, you know, bloated pieces and some bad contracts. Like, you know, like how how frustrating is it? This, you know, this Travis Hamannick situation. You know, we, we, we need to play him though, because we need to try to produce some kind of trade value or, you know, like, no, you know, like get a Any future of consideration <laughs> just, just to get him off the books. Cause that's a, just a brutal use of $3 million if we have to have, bring him back next year. You know, honestly, if, if we can't take any buyers, I look at the buyout which I looked into, it's it's one six next year and then 600000 the year after that. I, I certainly would prefer that than, than bringing his sorry ass back again. You know, like Luke Shen has outproduced him and outperformed him in any measurable way at 850K versus 3 million. So like- I say Kyle you know, Burrow's like, same boat. Kyle Burrow, you know, so oh, like- for 750K, yeah. Yeah, both of those guys back in a heartbeat before I even considered- bringing Hamannick back, but well, Burroughs is signed, Burroughs is signed for next year. And yeah. So is yeah both, both of those guys. Yeah. I, I meant, cause there is trade talk with those guys too. Oh, my bad. My bad. 
right? Like, yeah. I, I, you know, I, I would certainly only take a deal if it's a, you know, considerable asset, like, you know, a, a third or a second for Burroughs and a second or, or first, as crazy as that sounds, you know, because how we, we need that 850K guy who can play with Kenny Hughes next year, right? Like, you know, we, it's not like we can just take a fourth for that and, and go, well, hey, you know, it's found money, it's something from nothing. Like, we kind of need that player too. So, you know, it, to me, it would still take, you know, Tyler Mott is the one name, like, as you said, Bill, like, to me, I, there's, there is a possibility that we see one trade, and, and that's Tyler Mott. But I would be stunned if we see absolutely nothing. Mott is the one guy that we do have to go, all right, suitors, you know, hey, here's your playoff guy, versatile, kills penalties, does all these things, has, you know, can bring a scoring touch. He is the guy that you want for this playoff run. And and he's the one guy that you have to move. And, you know, again, I wouldn't settle for less than a, a third for him. But I think we could probably get a second for him, if not a, you know, B prospect. But, again, I would, of course, prefer the pick, which I'm sure comes to no surprise to anyone. Yeah. <laughs> I, I think Mott would be – would command a pretty good market, like a pretty strong market. He's a perfect playoff guy. I'd be stunned if we couldn't get a second for him. I'd be too. Like, okay. yeah. So over under on Vancouver Canucks trades, this um, this trade deadline, and I guess coming up to it, I, I'll throw the over under at two and a half. I'm gonna take I'm the gonna over. Take, I'll okay. also take the over because I fully so expect the long one. Yeah, I expect one of Besser, Miller, or Garland to be traded. So there's your that's second. That's why I said it at two and a half. Yeah, that's a good line, Josh. That's a good line. Good line. I think it's a good line. Two and a half's a and good then, line. Yeah. And then the third one, I think a contender will step up for Halak. Obviously, not give us much back, but agree to take that one point five million uh, in in cap overage for us. So, so I'll take, but I, I, you know, I think it's three, but you know, two and a half is absolutely the line. Uh, you know, I, I, you know, three and a half, I would have taken the under for sure. Yeah. Yeah. I think it could really go on each side. Bill over under. Do I have to pick? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Yes. Because and you have to show us the you on the spot. that you're putting on the bet now. I'll go over. <laughs> I'll and you go have over. to show your work. Please show oh, your work. Yeah, show your math. Yeah. <laughs> I'm still thinking about the school stuff. Come on, give me a break. (laughs) I I think it's going to be the under. I think it's just going to be the two. I think it's going to be Tyler Mont, and I think we're going to see one more. And I think like a mega trade. Yeah, Yeah. and I think they're going to wait till the offseason. Jim Rutherford is going to break his trader Jim role. You know, it's already been what three months now, and he hasn't made any trades. Must be (laughs) must be just like itching to pull the trigger right now. But I, I think that he's going to be a little bit smart about this. He's going to wait till the offseason. He's going to get his suitors in place, figure out exactly what he needs to do after the organization that he's got together has kind of looked at everything and figured out what the Canucks are going to do and how quickly they can retool this, I think is the word that uh, Patrick Alvin has been using and Jim Rutherford. Uh, so I think it's just going to be two. I think it's going to be the under. I do think the off season is fireworks. Like I, I think yeah. we're gonna, it's gonna be big. Like whatever happens at the deadline is simply a precursor of what's to come at the draft and then the off season. It's gonna be, it's gonna be a fun several months here in Vancouver for for Canucks news. I okay, I think, so I kind of there's also sorry. I'm just gonna, I'm, I'm yeah. even more confident on hammering the over at two and a half because I also think there's very likely a deal that we haven't heard about or haven't seen. You know, like like uh, you know, uh, Myers or someone with term and cap hit that we haven't necessarily seen that we will see move for very little. The real return, of course, will be the cap relief. Uh, yeah. So you know, yeah, I, I'm I'm pretty confident we're going to see at least three trades. And I think the deals that. that most people cool. aren't talking about now is is like the kind of like the mid tier ones between guys like Pearson and. Dickinson, the Pearsons, the Highmores, yeah. the yeah, yeah. Cool. Like, the Don't touch Highmore. <laughs> Not according to Yannick Hansen. He's like, meh. <laughs> I love Yannick Hansen. 
I'm keeping. Yeah, like I'm keeping. Are 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 probably gonna be like money in, money out ones, mm-hmm. such as I think um, Rutherford were still in Pittsburgh when they made the. Think they lost Bill. When oh, they shit. made the. <laughs> this is like what I tried to tell da. that story, isn't it? Can yeah, you, exactly. Can everyone got to the good part? What the deal they made the trade for was? Oh, we got him back. So they made the he trade. He was still for in Pittsburgh when he made the trade for Horn, Kristen, Matherson. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah. That's that's money in, money out, and and I think it worked out for both sides. I mean, like the Pens got yeah, it worked. Yeah, it worked out for Pittsburgh. <laughs> the Pens didn't look too good when it first came down, but Matherson's been all right for them, and Horn, Chris has and, and, has been obviously good well, for the Panthers. Yeah, yeah. One of those rare deals that's truly worked out, kind of for both sides. The, the other one that I can very much see that we haven't mentioned on this podcast because we heard Pavel Zaka's name and, and the rumor out of New Jersey is that the reason that they're looking or what they're really looking for is guys with some term. And because it's hard for them to attract UFAs for the reasons that I already mentioned previously. So a guy like Dickinson, a guy like Poolman, you know, again, of course, not a guy like Tanner Pearson because he would have to wave a no-trade clause, which I don't see him doing to New Jersey. Uh, but those kind of guys, I could see, you know, for Pavel Zaka, which, you know, isn't, you know, we're not looking at him as like a future cornerstone. We're looking at him as an expiring contract. So, you know, a potential to resign if, you know, he does look good. But, uh, you know, he's got a, a qualifying offer, I believe, over $3 million coming. He's not worth that. I wouldn't expect New Jersey to qualify him at that or, or any acquiring team. So I could see a deal like that working for both sides. You know, a Poolman and uh, uh, sorry, Poolman and Dickinson trade for Pavel Zaka. And again, the real value there is the Kaepernick. Well, on two, they don't necessarily have to qualify him, right? They could either it, take it, him to arbitration. Exactly. They could not qualify him and re-sign him later. Because uh, I agree, he's not worth the three million, but I would do that trade in a heartbeat either way, right? Whether they re-sign him or not, I think just to clear that cap space, that's found money. But I, if he ends up being and, good, bonus. And, yeah, and as much as it works out for us, I think it also works out for New Jersey because of, they bring in two guys. And and you know, as much as we like to crap on Pullman, he's not been terrible. And you know, teams are always looking for that right-handed bottom pairing defenseman. So. I, you know, I wouldn't be stunned if we see a Pullman deal and a Dickinson deal, maybe together, maybe separate. Uh, but you know, the more I more I talk myself into smashing the over at two and a half. Well, and I okay, I wanted to throw this out because that just kind of reminded me of this. So I don't, I don't particularly like if I was a betting man on this, I would bet that Halak does not move. But I, I was kind of playing with different ideas on like trying to move him because. One, there's not a lot of contenders that are looking for Halak, right? But there are a few. There are a couple. So, like, a couple that come to mind would be potentially a Minnesota, um, potentially a Pittsburgh. I think Pittsburgh is the strongest case for it. I like that um, one for sure. And then one other one that I can think of that I, I really like, and potentially Halak might like too, is Toronto. And Toronto, because they're not sold on Morazic. So we don't often, like, we almost never see three-way trades in the NHL, but there's one that makes perfect sense if it were to happen. And it would be Halak to Toronto, Morazic to Edmonton, and Koskinen to Vancouver. That would make the most sense for anything because Koskinen's an expiring contract. He's gone. You don't pay the bonus. Who cares about the cap space this year? You'll yeah, make the sorry. money work. Yeah. Right, you're just taking him to clear cap space for Edmonton to fit Morazic. Morazic has term, so Edmonton finally gets their goaltender, like a goaltender with term. And that's the only part I don't like, though, because again, you know, but Morazic's okay. not that good. That's the right. thing. He's okay, but they trade a terrible goaltender for an okay goaltender. I'm just, you know, my my thinking that the only breakdown there is that does Edmonton think Morazic now is going to come in and solve their problems and they're willing to allocate the cap space to him in the future. Other than that, I like it. They did trade Caleb Jones for set or for, uh, for Duncan Keith. 
So, <laughs> uh, well, and, and of course, I was thinking that, like, a like, like, yeah, identifying a bad still. goaltender yeah. that certainly does sound like uh, something Edmonton would do. I think that Vegas is another one. I think, yeah, uh, you know, hey, you know who loves uh, ex Canucks more than anyone? Calgary. I think they could look at a backup <laughs> goaltender. I, I think there's actually a, a several teams that could actually be in the interest oh. in the market for a guy like Halak, um, especially because again they know the real acquisition price is taking on cap hit. So the, you know if they're either willing because they're going all in this year to you know be able to push it to next year, or they can just absorb it themselves and they're giving up like a fourth or a fifth round pick, like you know yeah. nothing of real asset, and then you know, whatever, whoever their we'll backup the goal is for, for the contract, season. right? Yeah. Exactly. So so I think that, you know, that's why I think that there is going to be, you know, I think there's going to be, a, you know, when it comes down to the end of the season and it's, do you want to play in the playoffs? And, you know, potentially set yourself up. Because, of course, again, Halak, maybe, you know, we're talking about this bonus next year. He still needs a contract or still wants a contract for next year. It's going to be probably a lot easier to do that, to showcase your skills because everyone's watching the playoffs. If you get into a couple of playoff games because the you know starting goaltender gets hurt or goes cold, now I think you're looking at a far stronger opportunity. So of course that would be my sell, and I'd be stunned if Rutherford hasn't thought of that too. To Halak is hey, you know, aren't you concerned about setting yourself up for next year? Well, and there's two more destinations that I'll throw in the ring as well: Carolina and Boston. Boston, obviously, um, Tuka Rask retiring instead of being able to complete his comeback. The familiarity, obviously, there. Uh, Carolina behind Freddie Anderson, not really a whole lot. So after Nadelskovic left, that's a, that's a bit of a concern for a team that wants to make a serious run. Halak's a pretty stable goaltender that can come in and get the job done. And just talk of familiarity, I could see St. Louis. Like, you yeah. know, obviously, Billy Huso has been, you know, good at times. But Bennington, of course, has been, you know, incredibly hot and cold this year. So... I could see mostly them adding cold. some depth because mostly <laughs> yeah. cold for sure. Hey, and and don't you love to see it? Absolutely. Uh, and, then, and then and Washington as well. I I think could be interested in the back of goaltender, and of course, uh, he played Familiar there for a number of years too. So like, like, like you know, again, like he's he's been here what six months? Like yeah. you know this idea that he's like planted these deep family roots, and it would be just unheard of to uproot his family. Like, how strong could these roots possibly be? Billy Huso in St. Louis is a RFA at the end of this year. Yes, and he's a, been a stud this year. Yeah, so he's, he's getting, St. He's Louis getting a pay raise. Absolutely, he's getting a pay raise. So I could, I could see where something like that would work because you get him out. Into okay, here's maybe, a bit of a hot a take for you guys for the off season. This is an okay. advance based off the Blues situation. I think Edmonton swoops one of the goaltenders, so they but either they. Well, they what have other to, choice? Oh, they have to this year. They have to pull who you mean? Oh, right? you mean like off season before not, trade deadline? Off season, right? Because they're not no, going to get they, they're no, not going to get Huso out of there, and they they're not going to get Bennington out of there. At, they have the to make a move before trade deadline. But St. Louis needs to dump Bennington because Huso mm-hmm. is the clear goalie of the future, and Bennington's way overpaid with term. And Edmonton can't attract goaltenders to save their life. Hey, a, a formerly good, decent goaltender with I, cup pedigree wow that's right up edmonton's alley <laughs> yes I, I understand the idea obviously but they're not gonna wait they can't wait they can't no, wait they can't wait season. but they're going they need, to have they to need to make a move now like jay woodcroft i'm sorry you're getting the jay woodcroft bump but it's not the answer no no they're they're experiencing their take, bump. I'm, I'm gonna check on uh trade clause status here real quick uh, he's well. He's got a modified 16-team no-trade list, so that's you know somewhere in the that's middle. Essentially, but uh, Simeon Varlamov, I yeah. could see I could see him uh, making his way to Edmonton as uh, another potential uh, guy. He's under contract next year for five, which is a little steep for sure for for what he brings. But uh, I think uh, you know I, I'm I'm with Josh. If Ed, like. I, you, you can't not bring in another goalie. And, and like, you know, it'll be a matter of can they fit in someone with term and it's, you know, do they want to give up an asset for someone who, you know, is now the goalie or is it going to be kind of a pure rental 
which I can also see them doing because they're they, they're pretty close up against the cap, if I'm not mistaken, too. So yeah, I think are. you know even even if they wanted to bring in a Bennington, I think that would be difficult for them to do. So That's what but, I mean, is it, so, if they so do, course, which they have to, it it won't be St. Louis. I I see that being an off season move. Oh, yeah, they have uh, yeah. they have seven seven hundred sixteen thousand dollars on LTIR, so yeah, they're they're a little Not bit much. tied up against the cap. A, you know how how funny would the Spencer Martin? <laughs> well, even even if it's something like that, like you have to, you can't stick with the status quo if you're Edmonton. I don't care what kind of a move it is, even if it's just a, a really young or a. A, a low contract. You still have either Mike Smith or Koskinen. You're bringing someone, and you just have to. You can't stay pat if you're Edmonton right now. Yeah, just just the message the to the room. Yeah, it, it may not be a big one, or it may not be a guy who's brought in for the next couple of years. But just you simply have to bring in someone else, even if it doesn't work out. You have to. Like I Breeze, like, bring in Breeze Ball. <laughs> Breeze, wow. A Louis um, Domingue. How how comfortable yeah. are Connor McDavid and uh, Leon Draisaitl going to be playing when they're getting all of those delicious pies and baked goods? Yeah, they need a they need a Louis Domingue. You're right. Well, they won't you know, be hangry. I, <laughs> exactly. You don't want to Leon, be cold and hangry. That's Leon's just not going to be pissy at media if he's getting baked pies. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, Spec, can I talk to you for a minute? Yeah. <laughs> that killed me, man. That was great. That's pretty good. That's not gonna happen with Louis, okay? It's not gonna happen with any <laughs> other goaltender. And I think it as much as it would probably be the right decision to wait until the offseason for Edmonton to make a smart hockey goaltending decision, they can't. It's just that's why it's I like just that another three-way year. trade idea is that it actually it benefits everybody. Everybody wins out of it. Right. Vancouver doesn't win out of that. Absolutely, they do. They just because they the clear the cap bonus. for one, just because they clear the cap, yeah. well, they can. I, they I, 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 I'm absolutely willing to make that trade as Vancouver. I'm, yeah, if anybody's iffy on it, it might be Toronto, but they're actually gaining as well because they're acquiring a, an expiring contract and ditching Morazic, who hasn't really panned out for them. So they win as well. Everybody yeah. wins. Tr- Toronto's the one I definitely think. So. Yeah, Toronto's the most, I think, down for this trade. I th- to me, it's Edmonton who's still the one that probably doesn't do it. And then the other issue that I obviously, you know, I don't know if you've looked at the numbers, but of course we're, we're bringing in, I, I think, you know, Koskinen comes in a, around a $4 million cap in. So that's awkward maybe to make work unless we're, we're be able to move out a Pullman or a Burland or yeah. a yeah, Dickinson or something like that. But there would have to be value-wise, I like other. it. Yeah, well, and I think like if you're Edmonton in that situation and you end up with Morazic, you try to tandem it, right? Like you let Mark Mike Smith in the offseason go. Morazic coming in is like, hey, we're at least having a new goaltender. <laughs> um, and then in the offseason, you target um, that St. Louis situation, right? Um, and then either you have a, a, a good to decent backup in Morazic or you have a, a potential tandem that I don't think works, but Edmontonians probably would think works in Bennington and and him. So at least you have new blood in net, right? Like it's not another season of Smith and Koskinen. Like you can't do that again, right? So I I still I can remember the moment I saw the tweet that they brought back Mike Smith on a multi-year deal. I just couldn't believe it. Like in the year when it, all the goaltenders were moving around, like Holtby, Markstrom, all of them were bouncing around. Nobody wanted to go to Edmonton. And they were just like the kid at the high school dance with no dance partner. That was the funniest thing. And they had to the, like dance the other with their team, teacher. The other team I'll, I'll throw up uh, as an option for Halak is Colorado. Yeah. You know, I, I, I don't know about you guys, but I still have no faith in Devin Dubnik in the – or sorry, I – that's how much faith I have in him. Is I think of Darcy Kemper as, as Devin Dubnik. <laughs> was, that a, was that a perfect Freudian slip there? Can you yeah. tell me the difference between those two goalies? I can. There are. Uh, yeah. They are both injury prone. Uh, they both are streaky. And and I would not at all feel comfortable if I'm Colorado going into the playoffs uh, with Darcy Kemper and then Pavel Francois, uh, you know, to back him up. So. I would, I would also put Halak, and, and you know, again, like, sorry, sorry, Yaroslav, you don't want to go to Colorado. To, like, <laughs> sorry, yeah. like, are you kidding me? 
like come again with that like yeah yeah like all right no you're right back in five minutes when you get your shit together if it was if i'm sakic and i'm looking at my team that's the one achilles right is that you have that little nick on the ankle in net and that's really how everything's going to crumble. And that's that all it would take, right? That was that's all, all it takes for Kemper to go down. There's a little nick on the ankle. <laughs> <laughs> and then, um, and then you're turning to Francis, and like, I would much prefer Halak over Francis. Like, no way, I, no Not way. Anyone would, no one would take Francis over. That would, that would be yeah. insane. Yeah, I, I'm just picturing like the. Uh, Corporate wants you to distinguish between these two pictures of Devin Dubnik and Darcy Kemper. <laughs> That's the same in. That's the same. Not image. wrong. Not wrong. Yeah. Not That's the same back. image. Yeah. As long as you have like the pictures of them, like their names being on the IR list right below them. Like, well, you can you can do them both in a Minnesota Wild jersey. Yeah. Right? That's true. <laughs> yeah, there you go. There you go. Yeah. Oh, fantastic. Well, gentlemen, I think that pretty much wraps it up. Unless you wanted to, uh, oh, touch one more thing we wanted to touch on before on we... the Canadian women's yeah. gold medal. Yeah, how clutch is MPP, man? <laughs> Incredibly, for sure. Like for, goal, goal winning, four goal Olympic gold medals <laughs> in in multiple Olympics. Like that's, uh, I know one of the things I've really loved since is like the Winnipeg Jets showing up to their to their game and. All the Canada jerseys, and uh, there was 3.54 million people tuned in for that Canada-US final, and that oh, game awesome. took place in the middle of the night on the East Coast. Um, that's that speaks volumes to me about where the intrigue and interest is in women's hockey if they're given the right platform and stage to do so. So I'm really hoping we can get one unified league for women's hockey, not this PHF. Uh, PWHPA, um, you know, just give us one league where all the best players are in there. And, and I think, you know, we're going to start seeing a one, a lot more investment into their game, but also a lot more talent develop globally. Um, if they're given that kind of platform, which is only good news for hockey in general, if you're able to, to do that. So. Uh, yeah, I, I have watched literally, I, zero olympics other than the third period of the women's game i watched literally not a single second of the canadian men's team or any like i could honestly truly really care less about the olympics but that was the one event i felt compelled that i at least had to turn on for the third and you know of course again a great result you know of course you know just being on twitter i i followed it for better or worse and it was you know it's just a dominating performance from from head to toe uh you know was was there really any doubt uh during the entire tournament or, or before or after um you know like uh, <laughs> you know it's it's fun to win like that for sure i think you know <laughs> yeah. winning winning is always fun and i think you know when you when you're having a winning product like that and you know again of course you could stoke a big you know you have that tournament you have the playoffs and then you have like you know, kind of a World Cup of hockey, just a, you know, U.S. versus Canada, you know, how, like, and of course, it's cool to see a, a one-off, but how cool would it be to see, like, a playoff series, like, a, you know, oh, best man. of seven, you know, a- after, so, you know, you have that, uh, you know, leagues, playoffs, whatever they end up calling it, and then you go to something like that. I think that would create a ton of interest, a ton of buzz, and then just, you know, keep stoking that rivalry, because, uh, again, as great as the growth is, I think we all, you know, the, the proof's in the pudding, uh, you know where the best talent is coming from. It's it's Canada and the U.S. So uh, to be able to stoke something like that, and then of course you know eventually be able to bring in some you know European or, or other countries, I think would be really cool. And you can see the intensity that, that an event like this brings. Like the these women are all teammates. They grew up and they played together years and years. And just something about that stage uh, of setting the stage for high level women's hockey that just. And, and you don't just see it in the Olympics, right? You know, you see it going back to watching World Championships between the Canada and the U.S. The, there's that intensity that it just rivals and it amps up. And if if the the women's programs were able to just keep building on on this momentum and keep adding to that, I would absolutely love to see. It. And I think that you know, Malcolm, you know, or 
you guys mentioned the you know the numbers that the that the game drew and i think we we could only see more and more of it in the future well and I, I just love the animosity between canada and, and the us like that rivalry runs so deep and if you listen to any interviews with any of the players both sides they hate each other right and i love that like on nothing, the ice on the ice on the ice right like they they love each other off the ice a lot of them are actually married to somebody else on the other team right like that's actually it's like a weird phenomenon where like there's several couples where they're each on different sides of the border for that matchup but it's uh you know it i look at it and there needs to be more hatred in hockey i, I say that with like with love right like nothing is better than watching two teams that despise each other but love to play against each other like that's that's where all of our favorite playoff series are born from. Like I, I think back to like my favorite playoff series in my lifetime. And I'm like immediately ones that come to mind are like Red Wings and Avalanche, you know, like different ones where just the hate is at an 18 out of 10. And that's where the Canada and U S women's matchup is. And I just, I eat it up, man. Like I, the more that you can inject hate, organically into hockey on the ice the better man that's a that's a marketable masterpiece i think the u.s women are gonna have to step it up if they want to keep calling it a rivalry it's getting pretty one-sided <laughs> pretty let's one-sided. go <laughs> <laughs> yeah it's not a rivalry if you always win yeah. <laughs> boom Let's mic drop on that. Mic drop on that. All right, gentlemen. That has been episode 39 of Point Shot Hockey. Let's wrap it up.